John chapter 3. Go ahead and turn there, but what we're going to do, before we jump in, I want to ask you a question. First of all, what would you guys say the most popular Bible verse in the world is? Okay. Josie said John 3.16. How many of you would agree, hands down? I mean, wouldn't you say that believers and non-believers alike are at least aware of that scripture? They can quote at least half of it. Most of them can get it pretty close all the way to the end, right? For God so loved the world. Yes, I just heard about 10 different versions, but yes, yes. Okay, now let me ask you another question. Who was Jesus talking to when he said these words? you know the answer, raise your hand. It's Nicodemus. That's good. Now listen, most people don't know that. I'm not slamming anybody for not knowing that, but we, um, we love that scripture and it has so much power in it and we use it to witness to people, but we don't necessarily know, even know who Jesus was talking to when he said these words and we also probably don't even know the context of the conversation that he was talking to him. Not that it changes the message of the scripture, John 3, 16. The power and message of that scripture is the same. But when you understand who he was talking to in the context of it, it actually puts a little bit more accountability on us as believers, okay? And so what I want to do is I want to look at that conversation. Can we do that? John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And before we do, what I'm going to do is read the last part of chapter 2, going into 3. Look what it says right before it tells the story of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Now, verse 23 of chapter 2. When he was in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them. For he knew all men. And because he didn't need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in a man. And part of that comes from what we just saw, and we talked about a couple weeks ago, when he totally read Nathaniel's mail. Remember? I saw you under the fig tree. He knew what was going on. There is a, a, um, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Jew of Jews, a man whom is um, no guile. And he read him. He knew what was in him. And that's what he's saying here, that he knows what's in a man. He doesn't need you to tell him what's in someone else. Now, keep that in mind as we move forward with this conversation with Nicodemus. Okay, so chapter 3 of John. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Okay, now let's pause right there. You guys know that I think it's important for us to understand that the details. Some things that you need to know about Nicodemus. First of all, he was Jewish. Can I get it? Yes. Okay. It says that he was a Pharisee. Okay. So we know that he was religious. Yes. Okay. It also says that he was a ruler of Jews. And what that means is that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, one of the political governing bodies slash systems of uh, the Jews. Okay. So he was he was Jewish, he was religious, he was political. We know that he was educated. Nicodemus is a Greek name, okay? And that is an indication that this was an educated man, okay? So we're talking about somebody's up there, right? 
Listen, there are historical documents about a man of the Sanhedrin named Nicodemus who was a Pharisee. One of the things I want to add to that historically is believed and is rumored of Nicodemus, or even documented rather, is that he was extremely rich. Okay? It was said of him that he is so rich that he could sustain Jerusalem for 10 years. The dude was loaded. Okay? So the guy had some money. So think about this. This is the man that is approaching Jesus. Okay? Now look what it says. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, let's, let's uh, pause one more time. It says that he came to him by night. Some would believe that he came by night because of the circle of influence that he had and that he walked in. He would be ridiculed. He would be put down maybe even persecuted, maybe even kicked out of some of his um, pomp and circumstance circles. You guys understand? And so by coming at night, not as many people would know about that. That's what some people believe. And others believe it wasn't necessarily about that as much as it it was. He wanted a one-on-one conversation with Jesus, and the best way to do that would be to get him at night. Because during the day, people were hanging all over him. Jesus, heal me. Jesus this, Jesus that. And so his best chance of a... um, alone conversation with Jesus would be at night. That's actually what I think. And even if it, either one of those, it shows us that Nicodemus was a man that was willing to do whatever it takes to get his questions answered, right? Okay, so he's coming to Jesus. He's got something on his mind. Let's keep going. Rabbi, he said, we know that you have come from God as a teacher for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him and said to him, whoa, 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 Jesus answered him. The guy didn't make a question, he made a statement, right? And it sounds like he wasn't through talking, but Jesus answered him (laughs) and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, his disciples were like, Jesus, were you paying attention? That has nothing to do with what he was talking about. Think about this man who was coming to Jesus for an alone moment with him with something on his mind. This is a man, again, who was Jewish, not only that, but a Jewish religious leader and a Jewish political leader. And of course, he was wealthy and stuff too. But this man, Nicodemus, obviously had a particular framework by which he understood and viewed God. And it was wrapped up in Judaic law. It was wrapped up in the law and the prophets. It was wrapped up in religion, rhetoric, tradition. And when he comes to Jesus, he says, you've got to be from God because there are signs that you're doing that no one else could do but God. And then God, I believe, like he did Nathaniel, like he did many others, perceived, discerned that this man had a question. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? That was the question that he most likely came with. Okay, let's step back to what this man of circumstance would have probably had in his framework of approaching God. Sacrificial system, rules and regulations. Probably the most important thing is my ticket to God and his kingdom is the fact that I'm a son of Abraham that I am of the bloodline of the people that God chose to bring salvation to the whole world. 
And you do understand that it was a national pride that they had. They were God's chosen people. And so for them, yeah, we have these laws and we have that, but it had become even more important than the sacrificial system, more important than all the things in the temple, all those. And we talked about that last week. Remember how that was corrupt? Remember how they're selling stuff and, and the money changers in the, in the temple? We know that that system had broken down. Now, why am I saying that? Because look what Jesus said. Unless you are reborn, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Yes, you were born of your mother and father and you are of the line. Your bloodline is good and right and, and chosen. But unless one is born again, granted that might be semantics in the way things are stated, but I can't help but get past that, not get past that. Unless one, unless you, unless individually, not the group, not the family, not the team, not the, unless one, unless you are born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. There are two, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask questions based upon probably the top two things that keep people out of the kingdom of God. And one is thinking they are already in the kingdom of God based upon their religion or their parents' religion or their grandparents' religion. I thought about this today, and this is becoming more and more true and such a weird contradiction but I you know, read blogs and I read things. Even people who have chosen to be atheists and people who have chosen to be agnostic and, and all those things that are against God and all that, it's interesting how some of them will say, well, in the end, if I am wrong, my parents had me in church all growing up. And they have this, this idea, because we know what, it's, what Scripture says, right? train your child up in the ways of the Lord and he will not depart from them. And so it's a complete contradiction. But there are some people that, in the end, my, um, my fallback plan is mom loved God and she prays for me. Whoa. Unless one is born again, none of that matters. And I'll go ahead and give you the question. The question is this. Are you believing in his blood or your blood? <laughs> Think about that. Are you believing in his blood? And we know what that means. It was the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross that has made atonement for our sin. And like we sang so beautifully about tonight during worship, it's our believing in who he was, what he did, and what he promises to do, putting our faith, trust, and surrendering our lives to him and all that that means. That is what gets us into the kingdom of heaven. When we do that, scripture says that we are, and Jesus is going to go on to talk about it, that we are born of the spirit. We are no longer, though we are fleshly beings, we are no longer fleshly creatures. Why? Because we're a new creation, spiritually alive. I wonder how many people are believing in their own blood. And let me, let me take this another little level there. You know, we're not Jews, so we wouldn't look at it that way, but the blood of our family or the, the heritage of our family. But also, I thought about how, and I'll insert maybe a one and a half here, one and a half reasons people um, don't make it into heaven is because they're, they're, um, they're going by their works. And the, the play on words that came to my mind is our works. Oh, man, I, I serve the Lord blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> you guys see what I'm saying? 
That's great. Blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, you hit it. You serve. You are just like there every time the doors are open. But that is not what gets you into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, unless you are born again, all those things, the religion and the rhetoric, who you were um, born of and, and your lineage, it doesn't matter. Unless one is born again, you will not inherit the kingdom. Look what Nicodemus says. How can a man be born when he is old. He cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You see how this language is is indicating what he's talking about? Listen, this isn't about your flesh. is isn't about um, literal flesh of, of your, your lineage. And it's not about the work of your flesh or the work of your hands. Look what he says next. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. And then he says, well, let me pause before I get into this part. One of the biggest things that I see now, and I think it's one of the um, prevailing inhibitors of people coming to the Lord, is very similar to what Nicodemus just did. He's like, whoa, whoa, man. What are you talking about? How could someone be born a second time? How could someone enter into his mother's womb and come out a second time? And I wonder if Jesus was just going, you have heard that I do parables and I make examples, right? I don't know. I mean, he's a bright guy. He's a genius. He's the richest man in the city, you know? He's probably pretty popular too. It's like in this moment, Nicodemus was trying to use his brain to figure this out. How many of you know that people around us are tripping in the faith over their own brain? They just can't make sense of this or they can't make sense of that. Is that not the essence of faith? That you don't quite know how to make sense of it? but you you believe, you adhere to, you stick to it? I was was watching a debate this past week between um, Messianic Jewish rabbi, Dr. Michael Brown. Some of you guys might remember who he is. Um, I don't know who he is. Him and and, and a Jewish, a, uh, a, a true Jewish rabbi. And it was fascinating. They, the, the question was, um, was Jesus the Messiah? Of course, that's the question. Was he or was he not? And this, um, this Jewish rabbi had literally 200 reasons why he believed Jesus was not the Messiah. And you're listening to these and you're just going, wow. Like, where are you pulling this stuff from? I mean, the, the, the things that he would pull out about what Jesus said or he did is like, contextually completely off. Any Jewish person in their right mind, well, Jesus even said that. (laughs) The law and the prophets point to me. I'm right here and you can't see me. But it was true of this man here in, in 2015, this Jewish rabbi was picking apart Jesus's words and not getting any of it. And he was taking these angles and, and making it sound like Jesus was saying this or that or trying to get these structures of thought that were so wild. I mean, you had to have, like, 
blown a top just to think through those kinds of things. But intellectually, it's what this man was doing. And it made me think, I wonder if, if there was a moment where Nicodemus was having this thing too because of his framework, because of all he knew, all he's experienced. I can only see this Jesus guy through this lens or through this framework of thinking. But he says, I'm telling you the truth. It's like with Ernest, Jesus was saying, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. You've got to get this. I, I know that you're struggling with truth right now, but you've got to get this. Unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. So my second question is this. Are you focused on his fame or your brain? On his fame or your brain? And the reason I ask that is, look what Jesus says. He said, the wind blows wherever it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And what he's talking about is we, we only know that it exists by the effects that we see it produce. In other words, and Jesus is going to say, say it another way in a second. In other words, look at what God is doing. You may not see it clearly and understand, but you see the effects of it. You came to me yourself and said, because of these signs, we know that you're from God. Well, let's talk about those. You may not know exactly what's going on. You may not have it all figured out, but what have you seen? How many times do we see the disciples say, because of what we've seen and we've heard? There is a witness that Jesus, in such a short time, he and his disciples had already said and done so much that there was no reason to get jumbled up in their brain, but just focus on his fame. Look what he has done. Now we're 2,000 years later, and we have not only the fame of Christ that we see in the Bible, we have 2,000 years of testimonies of what God has done. I mean, if we were to just choose one massive miracle that would tie us and our belief to the truth is the way that he has is, he is sustained this small, teeny, tiny nation called Israel all these years. <laughs> the fact that Israel is a nation today is a testimony that God is faithful because he said they would be all the way back in Genesis 12 and 17. So if you just wanted to pick one, that alone. Are, but are we focused on on his fame, can we see who he is and what he's done? Or are we just trying to use our brain and trying to make sense of all this stuff? Let's go on. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? You see him struggling? Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? And he says it again, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm telling you, man, we speak of what we know and testify what we have seen. And you do not accept our testimony. You guys see that? My, our fame and God's fame is, is spreading like crazy. You see this. You came to me to talk about the signs. And you still can't believe it. He said, "If you know what? If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? Verse 13, he says, No one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven the son of man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, okay, stop. What is he doing? He's applying to the framework 
that Nicodemus was working through. So Jesus said, okay, I'm going to throw you a bone. <laughs> As Moses, was, uh, Moses lifted up the servant, uh, serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And then we get to our famed scripture. And he says, Nicodemus, you know why? Because God so loved the world. You have no idea. I do, because I've been there. I mean, essentially just said that. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven. In other words, that's me. You have no idea, but God loved the world so much that he sent his only son. That's me. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Again, this is the question that Nicodemus came with. What must I do to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Verse 17, for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. For he who believes in him is not judged. He who doesn't believe is already judged because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son. Could you imagine having this conversation? Did you know this was a conversation? Or did you think it was just a scripture that was like, we were gonna throw it there. No, this was something that Jesus was telling someone. God loved the world, dude. What? I'm telling you so much that he sent his only son. Verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Now I want to remind you, and we're going to go back and look at these two questions again, but I want to remind you something. Who was John 3.16 spoken to Nicodemus was Nicodemus a believer or unbeliever contextually he was a believer he's somebody that's coming wanting to know dude what's up we see that you're from God and Jesus is having this conversation reads his mail I can answer your question before you even ask got to be born again. I don't know if we ever thought about this, but this is a evangelistic scripture that we use, and, let, and yet Jesus was speaking it to someone that already had a fairly strong and relevant for a, a time framework of God and came in the night for whatever reason, got past his any kind of fears, struggles, insecurities, whatever, and he came seeking God. And this is who Jesus spoke this to. Someone that was a son of Abraham. Someone that was a chosen child of God in that sense. Someone that had heritage in the Lord. Someone that had been a part of a system. Someone that um, looked religious, sounded religious, was religious, was famed for religion. My point in that is this. We've got to be reminded of John 3.16, but not in such a way, yep, yep, oh, I still got it memorized. You know? And hooked on phonics worked for me, you know? 
John 3.16 worked for me. Listen, you guys, back to these questions and then we'll end. Are you believing his blood or yours? Another way you could say that is, is your confidence in his blood, the work of the cross, the bloodshed of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the atonement that was provided, the forgiving, the wiping away of sin, death, and the grave? Are you, is your confidence, is your belief in that or, one, your blood, as in your heritage, your upbringing, your parents' faith, your family's faith, two, your own works, you work your tail off, so what? So that the Lord will give you favor. Blood, sweat, and tears. Well, where's your confidence? Where's your believing in his blood or your blood? Because let me tell you, that is at least up there in the top five, I believe, of an inhibitor that keeps people out of the kingdom of God just because they can't get that it's not about that. Truly, truly, I tell you, unless you are born again, unless you wrap your brain heart and even um, very life around the gospel and let the gospel, more importantly, wrap itself around you, you will not see the kingdom of God. This is important. This is very important in the day that we're living in. It's important for us to know these scriptures. It's important for us to know the context. It's important for us to know how someone would come against us with another idea of of, of, of a way to get to God. Right now, we live in the most pluralistic season in history. Pluralistic means there are many ways to God. Do you guys understand what I mean? Oh, my goodness. You fall for that, and I'm, I'm afraid that we might be in the, uh, in the confidence of our own blood or in the own confidence of our own work or our own thoughts. And that leads us to that second question. Are we focused on His fame or our own brain, our own thinking? Or can we look at the, the testimony of of what God has done through Scripture, but all these years and even around us. I mean, I feel like my life, and I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. My wife and I were having lunch. This was about a year, maybe two, after we had become youth pastors, and we were still young, and I'd only been saved probably six, seven years. But we were having, um, Melissa and I and maybe Aiden, were having lunch at, um, at Subway there in Lindell. And we ran into an old friend. Her name was Maria. And I uh, love Maria. We grew up with Maria. And, uh, and, um, and so we're talking, hey, I hadn't seen you since high school and, and all that stuff. And she says, well, well, what are y'all doing now? And I was like, <laughs> I said, I'm a youth pastor. And she looked at me and she literally, I kid you not, fell out of the seat laughing. She could not believe it. Now, she wasn't laughing in a negative sense. She was just like, I can't. That is too funny. I cannot believe you, Tony Herring, are a, any kind of pastor, you know, or even a believer. Remember that? She, she fell out of her seat laughing. Oh, and if you know Maria, you know, she's real kind of giggly anyway. And I just thought, that's awesome. Why? That I'm a youth pastor? No. That God can change someone. And many of you have, all of you, have testimonies of that transformation. Is that not enough to prove to someone that's trying to work through the mental theological kinks? Can that not be enough to show that, that, that God's real, that this works? You understand? And that is one of the things I think are keeping back people. In the information age, Scripture says t- technology will increase in the end, and that, that um, 
You know, it's a great thing in some ways and it's a bad thing in others. I can read anything I want, even the things that I'm not looking for will come my way and it's propaganda, propaganda, propaganda. And the propaganda right now is anti-Christ. Why? Because Paul said that the spirit of anti-Christ is already in the world and that the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition, will be revealed. But the spirit of antichrist is already in the world and that is increasing. And that's what this one of the things that this series signs it's time to return is about and we'll begin that in a couple weeks people are using their brain more than their heart well don't you need to use your brain you do need to use your brain right because you love your Lord with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength but the implication is not that we think ourselves outside of God's heart and will outside of salvation that we try to we try to figure out how this all works, and if we can't, then none of it must be real. Have you guys witnessed some of that in some of your relationships around you? Maybe I'm the only one, but there are people that I know that are braining themselves out of believing in God. And some of you may be braining, but if you are someone that has struggled with your thoughts and trying to figure this thing out, and it's hard for you. Maybe it's the way you're wired or maybe, it's, I don't know. But you're trying to figure this thing out and it's just not coming together like it should. And you're like Nicodemus saying, how can these things be? I want to encourage you to, to push past the mental ascent. Push past that. And focus on who Jesus is and what he did. There is plenty. If you want to read something, don't read the weird stuff. Go read the apologetics. Go read the testimonies. Go read the stories of how God has protected and sustained people in his signs and his wonders. And that's one of the things I'm looking forward to in this series too is talking about, you know, um, he said, we know that you are from God because you perform these signs that many times God will authenticate his message through signs, through wonders, through the miraculous. And one of the things we know and hope for is that Jesus is coming back. And we're promised that he'll come back soon. Gee, I wonder if there are any signs that that would be true to authenticate his promise of his return. There are, and we'll talk about them. Let's stand.